Hello everyone, I'm Lynn Scanella and welcome to Fruitful Conversations. It's always my hope that you take a little bit of inspiration from every guest and today's guest will leave you with plenty to ponder as you put your jammies on tonight. Mandy Nolan is like part of the furniture here on Bunjalung Country where she's lived and been an active part of the community for more than 30 years. She is, wait for it, a comedian, an author, a journalist, an MC, a speaker, a humour therapist, a comedy instructor, a painter, a mother of five children, a staunch feminist, a regular columnist, a social commentator, and she recently ran as the Greens candidate for the federal seat of Richmond, losing by a very small margin. She loves a good underdog, and if there's a cause to be championed, she's on it. You want her on your team. Sit back and enjoy the formidable Mandy Nolan. We start with the juicy stuff. Yep. Three husbands, five children. Please explain. <laughs> I know. I sometimes have to explain to myself. And it's funny, I'm, I'm a woman that never expected to have a husband nor a child. I, I had never said I'm never going to do that, but I'd never said I was going to either. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, as a feminist from a very young age, I had never really thought about my future as a wife and mother. How did and you see your future then? Not as that. Mm. You know, as me, a creative, as me, you know, probably continuing on the path that I was. I was I was kind of drifting but I was still a writer and a, I was a sort of a fledgling stand-up comedian and I think I had a lot of aspirations uh, to be a performer and, you know, to be a writer, which I've continued but when I – it's funny, I, I got pregnant to – I'd had three abortions beforehand up to the age of about 27 and every time I made that choice it was completely right. And when I got pregnant with this new partner I was with, I went – I just – I went, ah, oh, am I going to have a baby in my life? I went, I guess I might. I was 27 at the time and I went, maybe now's the time. I don't know. And I said to the partner I was with, are you keen on having a baby at some time? And he goes, I'd love to. And I went, well, I'm actually pregnant now. And he goes, oh, my God, that's fantastic. Let's just do it. So we, so quite a deep thought process. Yeah, no thought process. It was kind of like, and that's clear, that's exactly how it happened. There, And that's how it is for me. I'm not a planner. Um, you know, I'm not in that, in that sense. It kind of happened and I went, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, he, at the time, I'd met him when he'd come out of um, like a recovery program. He'd had a long-standing heroin addiction and so <laughs> clearly entering into a parental relationship with someone with a heroin addiction or just an early recovery, not a great idea. Uh, if you had been planning, this is so me. I'm like going, oh, this will be great. Uh, but of course oh, – Okay, so but he's still got a heroin addiction. No, he, he had stopped for a while, okay. but then he, he did pick up again, though, which impacted on the relationship a lot. Now I'm talking That's about a surprise. <laughs> I know he's very well known. Mm-hmm. Um, he has quite a high profile himself, and so he, but he wrote about this in his. He wrote a memoir, which means we can talk about it. Yeah, so I wouldn't. I and I'm saying that because I wouldn't talk about you know that's it, that's a private part of a person's life if they've dealt with addiction. And he now lives um, in Bali with his new partner, and he's he's you know no longer in, uses drugs, um, and 
is really happy with his life and it's a really great thing to see. So I wouldn't – but because Happy he, ending, that's nice. I like yeah, it. it is really great. And, you know, I, I'm only, I'm, I mentioned that because it was highly impactful obviously on me and because he did – he has been in the media talking about, you know, how he um, battled his addiction and the years that it took and, and what took him there. That I'm, I'm sort of comfortable in saying that. But I, I need to say that so people mm. don't think I'm just outing someone. No, of course. In my life because I don't think that's appropriate to do it to people. Uh, so, yeah, but it did impact a lot um, and I guess, like, it's just so hard. Like, I can't believe, you know, I was we're suddenly living happy families and you're dealing with addiction at the same time. It was just, it was really hard. But you stayed. Yeah, I stayed because you, you live on hope. Someone said to me once, bury hope, Mandy, bury hope. <laughs> it's a really good idea. No, sometimes that can you, never happen. I know. Sometimes you have to with a big, you need to get a shovel and bury it in the backyard. Bury it deep. Um, it, it, because it kills you. Um, so that, that we were together about four years. Uh, that, that was a really full-on time. He's my partner at the time. It's funny, oh, it's even hard to even, during that, so I had one daughter then. Mm. Um, we were kind of – we really tried to make it work. We really did. Then his brother died in a really spectacular um, – Do you want to share Yeah, his brother was um, Michael Hutchins, mm. who some people know as the lead singer of – Some um, people. Some people. Most the people, world. The world yeah. sort of knows. Yeah. Although some people – like young people know, go, who? Really? And I went, oh, God, that's such a relief that people don't even know anymore. Must have been so public. It was really public and it, it impacted on us in a really massive way is that it, I kind of knew the minute Michael died that everything was finished. Like our, our relationship would not make it now. It was it was done. But it took us another probably 12 months before that came to pass. There was a lot of pressure, grief, um, and everything went a bit nuts, you know, in that there were magazines telling stories and there were family parts of, you know, his family that were arguing with other parts of the family. It was just horrible. It was, it was it, that's a whole other podcast probably episode into itself, but it was, mm. it was horrible and hard. And that, you know, maybe a year later we kind of separated and then a year I don't know, yeah, a week a week later, I realised I was six weeks pregnant with my second child, and I went, oh. I went, oh. oh. And then I had this big thought process. This is me, my big. I went, well, well I guess having two kids on my own as a single mum is going to be easier than having one with someone who's in active addiction. I guess I can do it, and that was it. So I, I, I went, I'll just have a baby on my own. I'll be fine, right? Because that's so easy, really. That's so easy, yeah. So, and you know, part of what it was is I'm not a materialist. I had nothing. Like I had zero. Like, and, and I, I just have this kind of belief that, you know, if I operate in integrity, I'll work it out. And that thing that we, we'll get there. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of did. Like I had been, like when I had Zoe, my eldest daughter, you know, we we were living in a shed to the week before I had a, you know, the shed was then washed away that week with the flood waters, so it was lucky that we Where didn't was move. that? That was in Byron. It was a massive rain. So you were living in Byron at the time. Yeah. So you've been in Byron, you've been in the area a long time. Yeah, over 30 years. Yeah. Mm. So I had a second child. Um, On your own? Yeah. and then In the I'm, shed? In the, no, I was in a nice house by then. Nice. And I had moved into another house and then another one. And then... 
I met my second partner who was to become my husband and he didn't want to have, like he didn't have children and he really like a a single mum with a baby and a four-year-old is, you know. Attractive package. Yeah, great package. I think I was overweight. I think I had a complex relationship with my ex and all the family stuff and, oh, yeah, I was such a catch. But I've got quite a charismatic personality there. Yes, you have, and very good hair. Good hair, and I really wore him down. Um, No, (laughs) he just changed his mind. It was really one of those things. I remember we both had this really lovely connection and he, he said to me, it was funny, I had an art exhibition in Sydney and he, he said to me, I really, this happened in, within the space of 10 minutes, and he goes, I'm, he said, I think I'm really falling in love with you but I can't go there. I just can't because, you know, he was a successful um, TV director. His life was going really well. He was, you know, he was, um, he was on his own trajectory and he goes, I, I don't think I can be a stepfather of two little kids. And I went, I totally get that, you know, sure. it, of course it makes me feel sad, but I really, you know, I understand that and I, you know, that's fine. We can be friends and like, and you know, that was, I left it at that. And then he just turned around and he went, oh, damn it. No, I've totally changed my mind. I'm absolutely going to do it. And I went, <laughs> I went, wow, that was some convincing. And from that minute, um, my ex-husband he just became such a great um, – he, he sort of stepped in as a stepfather to those girls. We mm. had another child um, and we were together probably eight years, which was really great. He had a – you know, there was stuff that happened. You know, so much happens in your life. You know, his mother died very early into our relationship and that put a lot of pressure, you know, going grief and relationships and new children mm. and stepchildren. Huge. Yeah, it's com- it's complicated. Yeah, it was really complicated. So, in, and they were probably the, the hardest years too of little kids and we're kind of pulling, you know, pulling through with that. So we'd moved to Sydney for a couple of years and then we ended up coming back here um, where I, and I, was, I always find my feet here. I just go, I just feel like this is my village. This is where I belong. Uh but our relationship started to falter, sadly, and we sort of drifted apart. We're still really good friends, though. Like, we've, we we had a very amicable separation and we did it. I've done all my separations without lawyers. I've done it. The uh, only the, way? Well, and I think with if you put the children at the centre, it really does help. And Couldn't agree more. It, 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 and I went, you know, and it's hard sometimes, but you do get through um, and I didn't need to use the lawyers. That was okay. We could do it. And it really helped. That it helped with those relationships that we didn't have to engage, um, you know, lawyers in these horrible battles over stuff. So people just like you're going, who cares? I really don't care. And it helps not, helps not giving a shit about money. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. If you're not driven by money, like sometimes I think, oh, I, sh- I should be more driven by money and I I never really it's have such been. a relief not to be. I agree. I'm with you. Because I hear people go on and on about what they've lost in some occasion mm. and I went, you know what you have lost? You've lost the ability to, to live without bitterness and resentment. And then I met my husband who I'm with now. Uh, we've been together 14 years and we had – I have a stepdaughter with him, which is gorgeous, and she's just a bit younger than my eldest daughter. They were mm-hmm. really good friends, and that's how we, we met 
sort of through them. They yeah, were they were friends. School. Yeah, so we'd known each other for at least ten years before we, um, sort of before there was a like a romantic spark, and and we had Ivy who's thirteen. Tell me about John. What's what's different about him? Um, is it a different stage of I life? I just think it's maybe? a different stage of life, mm-hmm. and I, I just think we're both a lot. We're both more grown up. I don't. I don't think. I'm a very easy person to be in a relationship with and I think I'm very hard to in that, I don't know, I'm. You're pretty full on. Like yeah, I work really full on. Yes. And I, if you wanted a partner who was going to who's gonna be there kind of mooning, I'm, you know, I'm not a compliant partner. I don't moon over you. I'm fun. I'm loving. I'm affectionate. I, and I'm a real, I'm a real partner in a relationship. I don't get. You don't have to take care of me. I will. I've or even when I've had a baby, I, it, it's a real thing. My mum was a single parent, so for me to, I need to earn money to bring to the table. I need to me. It's really important that uh, I've never been a kept woman. Yeah. Um. And that what a horrible concept that it's is. A weird term. Yeah. It and, is a weird, the kept yes, woman, but in that sense, woman. but kept in that sense where you are at home, um, being. Yeah, paid uh, below award wages for right. <laughs> for housework and, That's right. and nonstop duties. It is, in a sense, you're not really kept, but you're just put, paid poorly. I, um, you know, being an equal partnership is really important to me mm. um, in that sense. So I think over the years, I don't think I really knew what I wanted in a relationship. I, I'm also someone that would fall in love and fall out of love really quickly too. And I think that's human, Mandy. I think yeah, that, you know, the is. idea of um, of being with one person uh, all your life, like my parents were together um, for 62, 63 or wow. 64 years or something, loved each other right up until the end when we lost dad. And like my mother is grieving like you wouldn't believe. And I didn't, I thought she'd be cool because she's yeah. a strong independent woman. Yeah. But she, yeah, it's hard. But I, what, I, what I'm, I was going to say was, I don't know whether we're meant to be as humans with one person for that long, because we shift and we change, and sometimes a part of your life just comes to an end. And the way that you can do it, as you've done, is, is just to be able to go, okay, this part's over, and let's try and make it as amicable as we can. It will hurt, but if we can still have rela- a, a respectful relationship after this, then life goes on, and you end up. Having yeah, a friend, you do, and I mean, I've shared so much with you know those you know the the men that I've had children with. They've been massive parts of my life, and you know I have great love for them mm. and great care, and and that doesn't go away, no. you know, and so that just you know continues. It might diminish for a bit yeah. while you're going through well, you, all the crap, you're arguing, about yeah, while you're arguing and getting bitter and resentful, and then yeah. you decide that you're not going to be, yeah. You know, but I think it's different for everyone. I mean, obviously, your parents just had this amazing relationship of incredible longevity and connection. Um, you know, I don't. You know, certainly that that wasn't something that I found straight away. But I didn't even know what I was looking for. Like, but you didn't see that. I mean, you lost your dad when you were six. Yeah. So you know that must have impacted. I don't know how much you remembered from it. I know you lost him in an accident, didn't you? Oh yeah. So you remember. Like how much does that impact your childhood? Uh, it impacts a lot, mm. I guess, without you realising. Like I was really, my dad dying, and I've said this before, it sounds really terrible, was 
it was the best thing that ever happened in my life. Um, I don't know why I find that funny. It is funny though. Yeah, like it you is kind funny. of go, and and it it doesn't mean that it wasn't. It was traumatic and it was it was shocking and and there was it was violent. Um, you know, he died in a head-on car accident. He was a he, he was thirty years old. You know, he was really young. Um, he was vibrant. I'm probably much more like him than I am like anyone. My mother. Um, but he, he came from a really, you know, he came from a pretty traumatic background himself, had a, you know, a terrible alcohol problem and it was a relationship of violence, you know. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in domestic violence and really saw he was a real Jekyll and Hyde, this beautiful, he was really kind. I remember him, I remember him really positively. I remember the beautiful man and I remember the monster mm-hmm. that he would turn into and you don't, I don't know. I guess sometimes you black that out. I certainly didn't. Like the memories are really vivid of, you know, the violence of chairs coming through walls, of, you know, my mother being hurt, of um, the – and the, what what stays stronger sometimes than even the memory of the incidents is I can still feel where that fear sits in your body, like that sense of um, absolute terror, like the terror of knowing – you know, your father's going to come home at some point. He's going to be drunk and we'd get locked in a bedroom and then he would start trying to bring, get the doors, like he would he would smash the door in to get in to, to get to us. And the fear of that, and nobody would come, nobody ever came. Like you, it, this was when everyone just ignored. Um, it hasn't changed that you, much now. <laughs> but but, were you living in suburbia? Well, living in a country town. So Technically, like, so people would have heard. Oh, my God, yes, absolutely. no one came to your help. Oh, no one. Everyone kind of closes the doors and and they'll hear him going at it again and my mother would have been screaming and horrendous. And it just went on and on. So there was no relief in that and there was nowhere to go. And there was sense, even as a little kid, I had a really strong sense that this could, like, this was, I couldn't go on like this, like, it felt like something had to change and I didn't know what it was. So, but. He died. He died. And when he died, I had this really overwhelming sense. It was like I went, okay. It's. I felt like my life starts now. It really felt like that as a little kid. I was a very strange child. <laughs> I was a really weird kid Special. then. Special. Yeah, well, because like, it went. You can't grow up in that and be. I was a, you know, you can pick me in a lineup in my school photograph. It's funny, I'm the comedian because in, you'll find the little girl with the saddest face. I've got like a crooked fringe and my little fa- I look like Aww. I'm living in chronic despair. Because you go, which kid has got <laughs> the violent alcoholic? Like, probably there was heaps of kids in the class with a violent alcoholic parent, but you can really see it. And I do remember just before he died, I won this competition. Um, it was actually a competition across Queensland and I won for I don't know, like southeast Queensland or something. It was for little you had to draw monsters. It was the some bank where they had the bunyip kind of I think it was some Oh, I remember, remember the bunyip. Remember the bunyip? I had to draw a monster, right? Yeah. And then I drew this <laughs> this two-headed monster, yeah. which I don't know where it is now. My mother had kept it. And I, I won this I won this prize and for this whole region. And I realised that the reason I was so good at drawing monsters as a child was I lived with one, mm. you know, so it's easy to draw things that you know. <laughs> like it wasn't a fantasy. I went, I knew the two-headed monster. It lived in my house. It's a bit, it's a bit black, but, you it's know. It's very black. And I, had a, I have a very Woody Allen-ish childhood. And I guess a lot of my humour is founded in um, 
in that. So I, trauma, yeah. um, but I was really loved. This is where it's fun, by my father and by my mother. Yep. I, I never had a sense that I was unlovable or unloved. I just lived in violence and um, and fear and I didn't understand what addiction was obviously. And then because my mother was kind of released from it, you know, I think without ever having to walk through what you need to go through to get out of those situations, that that thing in me that was always going to be attracted to people with addictive personalities just sat there dormant until I met my, you know, my the father of my first two kids. And, of course, that was going to be like I had unresolved business. I had unresolved issues that I needed to, to work through. It, it's funny. Like all the kids have a great sense of humour. It's kind of it's our second language or maybe it's our first mm. language really in the way we relate and it's, it's, it's you know, we come from generations of, of families that have lived in trauma and the way we survive is we laugh. There you is know? no better way, it's really Mandy. Humour yeah. is a wonderful thing. Well, sometimes it is and sometimes it takes time. Like sometimes, it's funny, I was teaching, um, I, t- I, talk, uh, I teach a group of kids comedy or each year up at Palm Beach Corumban High School. We had our show last night um, and these are kids in from about year nine to year 11. There's about 13 or 14 kids that do, I teach them comedy and they do their performance. And there was one girl who... It was is this thing she talked about, and the other girl she did a two hander, and the other girl says something about, well, I really like my sister, and she goes, yeah, I like my sister too, but she's dead, and then it was like that, and everyone laughed, and I went, yeah. I went, and it was kind of like, oh, and then I stopped, and this is in the rehearsal, and I went, oh, okay, um, can I just ask about that? That was really funny, but you know, and she goes, oh no, my sister really is dead, and I went, oh, I said, okay. So then you can leave that in there because yeah. you have decided to say that. Yes. And it's weirdly powerful and it's uncomfortable for people and everyone just laughed and you're in charge of it. So, And it, and it, it's a weird thing how I don't know the deep story and it didn't ask her because that's I don't need to know. It was just really – it was a powerful way to see this young girl of 14 years old who's obviously dealt with a really full-on trauma yeah. be in charge of how she uses it. And how she makes up the discomfort she's felt, she's put on other people. I went, oh, I like that. I love yeah. it. So then I go, oh, look, she she found some of the power of comedy. And it is it is powerful. Um, some people think you just, uh, uh, you can use comedy to in lots of different ways, just like you can use anything. Um, you can use it very powerfully to reframe situations, to claim them back, to redefine them and to take space and find find a way of seeing it from your point of view. Which I really like, you know. Yeah, I think that I probably default to that a little bit rather because I hate conflict. Yeah. So trying to um, either be funny or reframe it in a way that maybe someone else will see the funny side, which of course doesn't always work. Well, it's good if they do, except you get humorless people and they're like, oh, my God. (laughs) They're like kind of like you're going, you just don't get it. Hey, why did you start comedy? Um, like, isn't isn't there another blood sports you could have? Um, yeah. yeah. What attracts you? Because you're a, you're an artist, you're a painter, and you've painted all your life. Mm. Um, and but you're you're well known for being a, um, a comedian. Yeah, I started when I was at uni. Um, my first year at uni, I was in a I, I was doing some performance, and look, as soon as I stood in front of an audience and started to do anything, 
I just have an ability to make people laugh and I didn't even mean to. And then, you know, people go, oh, my God, you're so funny. And then when people go, oh, you're funny, you become funny and you go, oh, maybe I am good at that. So I just started, people started booking me straight away. Like I, I pretty well never meant to be a comedian. I never aspired to be a comedian. It wasn't a plan. A bit like having kids. I suddenly went, about 10 or 11 years into doing it, I went, yeah, I earn all my money from comedy. I work about five days a week. I think I'm a comedian, which is so funny because these days people are really aspirant about being a comedian. They're like, I really want to do do this, but I'd never thought about it as it was never something I aspired to do or be. So it just, just happened came to it. you. Yeah, it happened. I think I think I just am one. I just I think it. I th- I actually really think it's who, who I am. Who you are, yeah. right? So if you're so that you just had children and you just became a comedian, what happened with this little foray into politics that we saw? Now, for for those of yeah. us who don't know, Mandy uh, was ran for the seat of Richmond in the last election for the Greens, and you came so 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 close, Mandy. I know. What did you do? You must have been running on so much adrenaline during the campaign. What did you do with all that energy when you when you didn't get the seat? Oh, um, it was like a crash. It was really hard. Like I, I worked, I, I ran really hard, and I you, you can't do it any other way. Like you, when you campaigning is unlike anything else I've done before. I thought I'd because I've been in the performance, you know, area. I don't know how other people do it. Like if you've been an accountant or a doctor or anything like that, I don't know how you campaign because at least I've done years and years of performing. I know what it's like to be on a run of shows. I know what it's like to be fatigued. This is this is on steroids. It's like next level. So I, I was I was pretty exhausted. I did have this really funny thing of this has happened. Lots of people come up to you afterwards and, you know, say things people you don't know and this guy stopped me in the street and goes, Manny, I just have to say I – I was so inspired by your campaign. You really ran an incredible grassroots, you know, campaign. You you made me care about what happened in the community. You spoke to the vulnerable. You really elevated issues that just weren't getting airtime. You did an amazing job. I didn't vote for you, but well done. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, how hard do I have to work, dude? How hard? Like you, you say all that to me, but... Who did you vote for? I did not expect that. I know. It's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't expect it either. And I, I went home with that and I went, that was so funny. To me, that's deeply funny and deeply revealing mm. about about the process. So I I kind of, I'm turning it now into, I'm actually writing a show for Melbourne Comedy Festival called The Candidate, which I'm, I'm creating around um, the whole experience as someone who's not from the world of politics mm. of stepping into to actually what it is to run mm. for for a for a federal seat and i think it's i think it's important because i would like people to know um what it takes and and, and what happens and it's actually quite deeply funny and it also and also from someone who like myself i'm a woman i'm a comedian and I care so deeply about my community and about about you know issues around climate and and women's rights and and people's access to housing and first nation justice like there's things I'm really passionate about and very often it's about someone without a sense I didn't have a sense of political legitimacy when I first stepped into the 
political arena. It's interesting. I, well, you go like, well, who am I to do this? I don't. I don't come. I don't have a background. You know, I was reading Kathy McGowan's book. Um, she started the Voices um, of in, for Indi, and and it's really interesting. But but Kathy had worked as you know in the office of her local member as a staffer. So even though she ran as and won the seat um, in Indi and set her own independent campaign up, she had some understanding of the machinations of politics and yeah. how it worked. Well, you had none. I had nothing. Why Why the Greens and not independent? Uh, because I would have seen you as running for independence. Yeah, you'd never get – yeah, you'd never get in. One, why would I – you have to be really strategic – and if I was to set up as an independent and run here, you know, Labor holds this seat uh, on green preferences. It's a really strong green vote. I would be setting up a duplicate platform to the Greens and running against them. Like why would I do that when and, – and my platform would not be as finessed, researched, and I wouldn't have the support of senators uh, party leaders and the immense uh, support you get when you run with the when you are part of the Greens party, it it was com- it was like going look I was completely aligned with the values I went and read before uh, before I just saw, look I I joined the Greens some time ago and in joining I I must have read the policy and 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 all the platforms three or four times um, from beginning to end, and it's quite a long, they're, they're very detailed. They have, you know, they have, and I think for people it's really interesting. It'd be hard not to agree with the Greens policy, for a lot of people, for the Greens policy and platforms if you actually um, took the time to read read it because to me it's common sense, things like dental intermedicare, um, things like, you know, creating affordable housing um, and rolling it out at a much grander scale. That like we were talking about a million houses over twenty years, not you know the twenty thousand houses, you know, that which doesn't out. even drop. It doesn't like well, you know. Anyway, I'm not going to go into that. But it it was the big picture. So in a, here, you know, probably if you're running somewhere like Indi, you'd, be, you'd have such a small green vote. You're going to do better as an independent here. Um, I was so privileged to be able to run as a Greens candidate because I got the immense support of of um, of thirty years of of being a party and all the work that's been done. You know, when you speak to people, sometimes they may not like you know one decision that was made or one thing, but you know you've got to realise it's the Murdoch media that sh- you know shines the light constantly or tries to actually you know shift the narrative about things that happen because you know. The media's never been a huge fan of the Greens. No. Um, and that's, you know, and that they tell the same, you know, crazy greenies is the kind of story they tell over and it's over. not crazy greenies anymore. It was at one point. I think yeah. that we, it was all sort of um, your weed smoking hippies and not really getting a lot done and, you know, th- throwing a bit of blood at a ship somewhere. It's not like that anymore because thinking people – have to consider all the different it just makes sense. problems. And, yeah. Well, I, I ran a workshop on the weekend, um, one of my opinion writing workshops, and I had there was a woman here and she comes from Bird Desert and she wrote the most beautiful story and she, you know, probably to, to look at, she looked like, you know, an older conservative woman who is a farmer and she talked about, you know, when um, the um, – 
the gas companies came and wanted to frack her land mm-hmm. and she wrote this really powerful story about, she goes, I never thought I'd be standing shoulder to shoulder with a dreadlock hippie. Like she goes, I always thought we would, we sat on different sides. And she goes, it was the first time. It was really beautiful. She started to cry when she told it. She goes, I actually realised who was, you know, who had my back and it wasn't, it wasn't the people I'd been voting for all these years. These were, you know, that for some, she goes, we, we share values because we care about the country and we and it was so beautiful and I went I think that's I think when you start to see the role um that that you know big money donations fossil fuels and those industries have that how 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 much they uh impact on on politics and how very often the parties that claim to protect the rights of people like people that are landholders etc actually don't at all one of the things I found the hardest was, it's quite funny, you'd be at um, polling booths, which was really full on, and you'd be going, you know, I'd be trying to, you know, there'd be a lot of older people coming and you're going, you know, how Mandy going to be Green's candidate? And then this, someone would come out in a walking frame and it would take them forever to get out of their car and I'd help them. And they'd go, I wouldn't vote Green if you paid me, like really aggressive. And I was like, well, funnily enough, we probably would pay you a lot better <laughs> than the party you're voting for is going to pay you. Like that's the thing you're going like, have a look at the policies. You are being screwed by the parties that you're voting for because they don't care about you. Um, you can't. That doesn't come through because because propaganda is stronger. Sometimes in those, and you have to, but that's why you've got to keep. But people are shifting, people are starting. I think I just want to see the two party system smashed into oblivion. I just think it's it's become lazy and entitled and lacking in vision, and it it serves those big corporations. And even the CWA, the Country Women's Association, put forward um, a motion that um, they wanted to see. Um, a ban on fossil fuel companies being able to give political donations. Mm. Like the CWA, that's a pretty conservative group. The National Party group. Exactly, and that they can see the connection um, with the corruption. Will you run again? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yes, we can't wait. I know. I've got to get pre-selected. I'll go through that process. <laughs> it's not like a given thing. No. I have to go back again. That's what I love about the Greens. You go, oh, don't. You go to audition because, again. <laughs> yeah, I go, just because you did well doesn't mean we're not going to let you come through again. But you'll uh, go through all of that again, Mandy. Yeah, you've got to go through all of that again. No, I, but I mean the whole thing. You'll go through it thing. again to try and get into federal yeah. parliament. And I guess asking you why federal, I was thinking about that. I was going to say, oh, I wonder why federal. And then it went, bigger stage. Why would it you give Mandy Nolan a small stage? I know. Like I... Well, at a state level, we have a an incumbent um, state member here in Tamara Smith. There's no way she does such a great job. You know, I'm I'm I I'm here work wanting to work with powerful um, voices, and you know she's she's there at a state level. We've got um, you're a team we've player. We've got Sue Higginson at a yeah. We are team players. I love and that's. It, it isn't just about the individual. It has to be about the bigger picture. And that's the other thing I kind of love as well about, I guess, about not being, you know, not just – if I ran as an independent, it's about me. And when I'm in a party, yeah, it's about me, but it's also about a vision and and something that I have to be accountable to. And and I think that's really important. It's about a people's – it's a people's movement. 
and I and I think I think we need that. It's it's not a corporation's party, and it, it's not a place you know to to um, jockey for privilege. It's a people's movement. You know, the one thing we all need to do. I want to get in there. I just love to be part of. Can you imagine getting rid of negative gearing when every politician in this country is heavily invested in in the housing market? The one thing that has it, it, it's it has shut people out of housing and has to go, but nobody's going to have the political appetite to do it because it's going to hurt. Well, we know that if and when you get in, you will be one very loud voice I will in be Parliament. Loud. You'll be loud. Tell me then, the girl who um, who was hanging out with a and loving a heroin addict and decided to have a baby just because it might be might be nice. And the woman that sits before me today, what's what's the difference in that Mandy Nolan? Not much, really. Um, I'm still pretty consistent in that I'm. Um, I have, I've, you know, I've matured, I guess, in 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 time. I'm. I'm more. Um. I guess I think more considered. Now in 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 what I what I do, I think I'm more confident in who I am, and that's probably the key, the the key part of of that is that I have a really strong foundation in that I'm okay, um, and 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 that I'm actually able to, and a belief in myself. Probably the girl that was, you know, that you're talking about when I was 28, I. I was always up for stuff. I've always been pretty courageous in what I'll what I'll do, but I don't think I ever believed in myself in the way I do now. I have I have huge belief in 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 my ability to face challenges and overcome them. And I have my own ability I have a belief in that because I have the most enormous support. I have I have this community and connect is not just the reason I have that that confidence is because of what I have with me. And that that's what gives you incredible you're not alone. When you realize, you know, your community connection and your and and the potency of those strong relationships that you have, it, it does give you a it gives you a sense that, you know, you can achieve big things, you know. So for me, you know, have lofty goals, you know. I would love to get into Parliament and, you know, be a loud voice for dismantling negative gearing so we can get housing back into our communities. I would there there are some real, you know, strong issues. I'd love to be, you know, you know, I'd love to be part of seeing an end to fossil fuel donations. Um, because I think there's some really key things that need to happen to actually underwrite real change in this country. You know, I'd love to see treaty for First Nation communities you know, across this across this country. I think it'd be, you know, I think we need to see powerful um, change. I had this one idea <laughs> that was funny. I was thinking about it the other day, and I was talking about it, going because you imagine what it's like. Because we, you know, we've also got to realise that, you know, I come from a very working class background and. You know, etc. But I also I'm still a white woman, a white middle aged woman, living a very privileged life these days by all accounts compared to most other people. And I think it'd be really amazing. Just you got to imagine what it's like. You know, we're living. You know, we have to start seeing a shift. Like black voices in this country are getting louder. 
and they're they're getting more powerful. They're yeah. becoming um, some of saying some of the things that we need to hear. And as an ally, you always feel like you're on the right side. But then you have to actually really look at, well, maybe what can I do? You know, or, or, or maybe what I can do is shut up. You know, so I had this idea for you call it the quiet white day. And that's when white people just shut the fuck up. Just say nothing. Say nothing. And you actually vacate the space. Quiet white day. Yeah, quiet white. So every white person you go, shh, quiet. Imagine Alan Jones, shh. Can I can't imagine that. Sorry. I know you can't but imagine that and all the then you have a narrative which is your own but then you go goes for a week and then a month and you go because you imagine because you think, you know, being in in, a, in this country as a, as an Aboriginal person, it's the white voices, whether they're allies or not, they just dominate so much and all you're doing is you're trying to claim space in the narrative. Yeah. To see that reversed um, even for a day would be would be powerful and confronting. It's a really powerful idea, but how do you do that? How do you get the media? Like well, what were you saying? Oh, as if they would do it. You'd you never a, know. Quiet hour. Oh yeah, the quiet hour. That sounds terrible. <laughs> quite. Te- you got ten minutes. Imagine that. Sixty you seconds. Can imagine, like if, if, even the idea of it. You can imagine Pauline Hanson would go nuts. You know. Well, that alone one would be fun. That should be quiet. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think. Yeah, I think I think there's a difference anyway. I, I'm quite a. I'm I'm sort of still the same. My my authenticity of who I am is the same, and I think. Um, my sense of belief in myself is just bigger, you know. I, I know, and I and I like myself. I think I was a bit. Um, it's funny. I think it's things as you get older, anyway. As a woman, isn't it funny? You look back, and I was so insecure, and I questioned myself. I doubted, you know. I worried, you know. I, I never felt beautiful, or <laughs> that I was good enough at anything, or. And you look back, and you go, "Wow." You well, were beautiful. Well, you was, were well, good at everything. Things, yeah, mm. and you kind of go, and and you know that's part of a cultural thing that those are values that they even mean anything. And these are things that need to be passed on to our young women through role models like you, who well, like all of us really, that we can teach our young women that and our young men. You know, we we are beautiful and we are smart and we have potential. Yeah, we just kind of just never you stop learning. Push on. Yeah, and you keep. Yeah, and you are, you know, um, you're more than all those things. You're always more than all those things. And all those things, they mean fucking nothing. No. It's, you actually, as you get older, I actually think you realise their 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 currencies. so there's a place where those currencies mean nothing. They don't, they're not recognised. And that when you push into the kind of, you know, your space of integrity and authenticity, there's a whole different world there that, you know, where, where that's not what you, you know. I think we're often tethered to this idea of what our value is and, you know, that comes through the patriarchy, absolutely, mm. you know, for women very much. I can't speak for men because, you know, not being a man, but I know as a woman and having daughters, you know, I've seen I've seen what a tether that is to your, to your potential about what you can achieve and what it feels like when you take a big knife and you hack that rope and you just fly. And I think I think I'd love to see generations of more young people, um, and young women in particular, just just hacking that that rope of expectation right through and going for it. And I think we will. I think we're seeing it. So that's exciting. 
I'd like to be the I'd like to be the knife. I'm happy to cut the rope. Probably too fat to fly now. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll be a, but you'll be a great knife, Mandy Nolan. Um, thank you. Thanks for everything you do for the community around here. Um, I know you're really you're a big you're a big space in this community, and you you do so much for it, and you have done for thirty years. Thank you, and thanks for your time thanks, today, Lynn. And thanks for bringing me a coffee. That's always that's all I require. <laughs> Cheap date. <laughs> oh, yeah, always. I imagine that Mandy Nolan could convince me to support just about any party she represented. She is a full-on mango with a serious apple rising, which is the bit that stops her from ever giving up. I really enjoyed her stories, but here are my main takeaways. First of all, don't get fixated on who gets what in a breakup. Because you'll find you've not only lost the cutlery set or the lawnmower, but you've lost the ability to live without bitterness and resentment. I I, I really like that thought. I love humour myself, and I was taken by her story of the 14-year-old who used her dead sister in a comic piece. The lesson for me was that this was her story, no one else's, and she was in charge of how she used it, discovering the wonderful power of comedy along the way. Mandy's belief in herself is perhaps something, as she says, that has come with age. But what resonates with me is the strength that you gain, the power that you get from excellent relationships around you. And she likes herself. I like that. Now, Mandy packs a lot into a day. So what I've done is put all her shows, podcasts and workshops in the show notes. So make sure you check it all out there and at mandynolan.com.au. Now, if you have no idea what I'm talking about when I call her a mango with an apple rising, go take a look at lynnskinella.com.au. Fruitful Conversations was recorded and produced here on Bunjalung Country and edited by Darian Warner on Wadjuk Country. As always, thanks for being with us today. I hope you enjoyed. Be kind to each other. I'm Lynn Scanella and this has been Fruitful Conversations. Fruitful Conversations.